This message is brought to you by Mill City Church in Lowell, Massachusetts. For more information, please visit millcitychurch.net. Are we excited to study God's Word together today? Yeah. Turn to Acts chapter 16. Be turning to Acts chapter 16, and while you're turning there, I want to set this morning up just kind of talking, sharing from my heart some places where the Lord has been speaking to me over the last few months, and um, I've been talking to our leadership about this, I've been talking to our student leaders about this, and so it's going to come out a little bit this morning in this morning's sermon as we're looking at the passage we're looking at today. I want you to think about two words this morning. I want you to think about the word maintenance, and I want you to think about the word movement. And I want you to think about those two words in the context of a church, in the context of your life. Maintenance versus movement. Maintenance in a Christ follower's life or in a local church's life, we are focused on, our goal is, our aim is towards keeping the program going. And so we have a multiplicity of programs and we need to keep those going. And then when we see this need or this need, we create another program and then we focus on keeping that program going. And you look at any religious organization, any missions organization, or any local church, the, the, the go-to posture of the human heart is maintenance. We need to maintain what we've gotten. We need to maintain what we've received. We need to maintain what we've attained. And so it would be very easy to look around and you can look at growth. And, and I know today is a little uh, different because we have so many folks out of town for the holiday. But you can think back even last Sunday, you're looking around the room and you're thinking there are a lot fewer places to sit than there were several months ago or a couple of years ago. And that's because the Lord is increasing our fold. We've seen record number of baptisms in our church this year. We've seen record number of new members in our church over the last couple of years as far as our church goes. And you, it's be very tempting to look at that growth and look at from where we've come and say that, okay, our mission now is to maintain that which we have achieved. It is to keep those in the seats happy. It is to make sure that every need is met in our body. It's to make sure that every spiritual need, every physical need, everything, that the focus is on maintaining maintenance where we've come from and where we are today. But then there is another word that I would point your attention towards, and it's movement. And I believe that the word movement is what really characterizes these first century followers of Jesus. They were not happy with the status quo. I mean, there were hundreds and even thousands added to the number in the church on multiple days as we've walked through the book of Acts. And what you see is you don't see them hunkering down and just focusing on what they had attained and whom they had attained. What they do is they see every aspect of growth, every time growth comes as an opportunity to keep the mission moving. They're going into neighboring towns. They're going into countries where, that, where Christ had not been named before. They would get beaten. They would be arrested. They would be driven out of that town. And it would, and it would promote inside of them a greater fervency to keep movement going. Not to shrink back. Not to maintain. And so this is a big question for you and a big question for me as we're approaching Mill City Church's 10-year anniversary. And here it is. Do you want maintenance or do you want movement? Do you want maintenance or do you want movement? And see, most of us would answer, we want movement. We want to continue to see the lost be saved. We want to see the saved be baptized. We want to see the unchurched become the church. We want to see more missionaries sent out from our midst. We want to see more churches planted. We want to see the gospel move forward. And we can say those things, but then functionally, we can shrink back and say, but at the same time, I want a lot of maintenance as well. And here's where a lot of rub can happen during church growth. 
is because a church can grow. People are being saved. Missionaries are being sent. Churches are being planted. A difference for the kingdom is being had. Multiplication is happening. People are going out from among us. But somewhere, deep in the recesses of our hearts, we're longing for the programs to be maintained. And we're longing for more of our needs to be met. And and I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that every one of us has real needs and we want to be sensitive to that and there are real opportunities that we have for that. But I, I just want to tell you this morning as compassionately and mercifully as I can, the goal of our leadership is not to simply meet your spiritual needs. The mission of our church is not to maintain where you've come from or to maintain what God has blessed us with. The mission of our church is to continue the gospel movement that has gotten us this far. It is to invest our lives in the next generation. It is to invest our lives through disciple making. It's to invest our lives, and I mean our, I mean all of us, not just simply church leadership, that we are discipling those behind us, that we are following those before us, that we are sending out our best from among us to the nations and to other communities at the gospel where it has not been named where it has not been named. That's the goal. That's our passion here. And I want you to see today from Acts 16 how the early church was doing this and how it would have been very tempting for them to simply rest on their laurels or to simply rejoice in who they had attained and to not go to these hard places, to not to send out the best from among them to their neighboring villages and to their neighboring countries. It would have been very tempting for them to do that. But we see, but we see them continuing to move forward Continue to go places that the gospel had not gone. And I want to emulate their example. And I hope that you will too. So your question today, do you want maintenance or do you want mission? If you want mission and you want movement, then I'm going to call you to be a part of a movement among the unreached. Because it's what we see the early church doing. When we pick up in Acts chapter 16, there's been a little bit of a strife between Barnabas and Paul. And it was pretty serious. They got into a really serious, hot debate. And so we can see that the early church was imperfect, just like you and I are imperfect. And it centered around a guy named John Mark. And John Mark had attached himself to the Christian community a a, a little bit of time before this. And he had kind of flaked out. He had been real flaky. And Barnabas wanted to take another chance on him, but Paul... Paul was very much focused on what he wanted to do. And whether rightly or wrongly, Paul said, nope, sorry, chap, you had your chance. You proved yourself uh, irresponsible and not reliable. And so I'm going on without you. And so they argue over John Mark. So Barnabas takes John Mark and he goes on a missionary journey. And Paul takes Silas and he goes on a missionary journey. And along, that, and along the way, Paul is introduced also to a guy named Timothy. And Timothy would become his son in the faith. Timothy would become his right-hand guy. And so Paul, Timothy, and Silas continue on their missionary journey. Barnabas goes on his missionary journey. Here's what this shows us very quickly. This is at the end of Acts chapter 15. There are some of us who are thinking that if we can just get a part of the right church with the right leadership, there will never be any problems. There will never be any disagreements. And only good times will come. But Barnabas and Paul are two of the most astounding leaders in all of church history, two of the strongest leaders in church history, two of the leaders who made the biggest differences for Christ, and even they had a sharp disagreement over some minor things. And so this should encourage us today that in our pursuit of the perfect place, you're never going to find it. And if you think you have found it, don't join it because you will then mess it up, okay? So there's great encouragement for us here as human beings. These guys were men. They were not angels, just like us. We are men and women. We are not angels. Okay, so here we go. Then they go, uh, uh, they go on towards Macedonia. Here's what I want to do. is I want to pick up in verse 16, and then we're going to dive into our outline today. And I'm going to keep this moving today because we have a lot of ground to cover. Picking up in verse 6. And they went through. Now, who, is, who are they? So they are... Paul, Silas, Timothy, and we're going to find out in verse 10 that it also includes Luke, Dr. Luke, who's writing 
this book. So there's, there are four of them. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man in Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. In verse 10, when you see we sought to go into Macedonia, this is just one of those minor things in the text. You see a shift here. For the first time in the book of Acts, you see the word we in chronicling the events. And most scholars believe this is the point where Luke is recounting his own experiences in the book of Acts. And so uh, with that being said, you have Luke, Paul, Silas, and Timothy going on this missionary journey. Now here's what I want you to see. In verses 6 and 7, we see that they wanted to go to a couple different places. But they were prohibited. Now we don't know if there were health reasons. We don't know if the authorities just drove them out. Uh, we don't know if they just had a flat tire on their chariot and they had transportation issues or their, their horse got sick. But some, for some reason that only God knows and God ordained and that we don't know, they could not go to these places where they wanted to go. But they kept going. Friends, I want you to see this today. They kept going. They kept on the move. And so to be a part of movement among the unreached, the first thing I want you to see here is that we must be desperate for His Spirit to lead us. We must be desperate for His Spirit to lead us. They wanted to go to Asia. They wanted to go to Bithynia. But the Holy Spirit and the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. And so what do they do? At that moment, what do they do? Do they just shrink back and say, well, we tried. I mean, we tried getting the gospel to the nations. We tried to be a part of the movement. I guess we need to go back to Jerusalem and simply care for the widows who are there. That wasn't their response. They kept moving. They kept seeking the Lord. They kept following the Spirit's leadership. Philip was led to the Ethiopian a few chapters back. Peter was led to Cornelius, and here in chapter 16, Paul was led to Macedonia. And the way in which God did this, true, it was supernatural. And I have to tell you, brothers and sisters, we won't always experience it like this. But in a dream or in a vision, God supernaturally shows Paul a Macedonian man. And that man is ready and ripened for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, it may not always work that way with you and me. We're always looking for the writing on the wall. We're looking for the fleeces. We're looking for the the, the words in the sky. And that's not always the way in which the Spirit leads us. But the Spirit does still lead us. And very quickly, I want to just show you here through this paragraph at least four ways that the Spirit does lead you and me today that I want you to be sensitive towards and not just shrink back and just say, let's just fall into maintenance mode and just care for everyone who is around us without advancing the mission forward through movement. Number one, he leads by shutting doors. He leads by shutting doors or opening doors as well. Paul was prohibited to go to Asia, prohibited to go to Bithynia. So what did that do? That automatically made them troubleshoot, problem solve, and say, okay, if we can't go there, where can we go? And oftentimes in our own lives, it'll work out this same way. You think about William Carey, the great missionary who wanted to go to Polynesia, but was ultimately sent to India. You think about another great missionary from history, Adoniram Judson. He went to India first, but then ended up in Burma. Another missionary, David Livingstone, wanted to go to China, but was sent to Africa instead. I remember whenever I first moved here from Mississippi in 2002, I had just graduated from college, and uh, I had every intention of moving to New England to work among college students and to make disciples among students. And when I first got uh, the, the opportunity before me to go to the greater Boston area to, to start a work among college students or to be a part of a work among college students, 
I wanted, remember I'm a kid from Mississippi, I wanted so badly to be a part of one of these schools in Boston that were just the big name schools. I was thinking a prayer card from Harvard would look really good, or a prayer card from Northeastern, or from Boston University. Like, can't I go to one of these big name schools? It, 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 it sells a little bit better, even in my mind. But going through the mission agency and going through our local convention here in New England, I was placed at UMass Lowell. And UMass Lowell is a very different place today than it was 20 years ago. But here's the deal. Even today, it's still kind of like, it's kind of like Jesus with Nazareth, right? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? I mean, for a lot of people who live in New England, like, is there anything worth doing in the city of Lowell? I mean, for those of you who have lived here for a while, you understand how much our reputation is here. But unbeknownst to me, God would plant me here in Lowell and look at what God has done over the last two decades. A marvelous work, remarkable favor that we have received in our community and on our campus. I could never have written that script. I would never have come to UMass Lowell on my own, but it was through the shutting of doors and he opened up other doors. And so oftentimes it's through the shutting of doors and opening of others. Secondly, he leads by revealing needs. He leads by revealing needs. In verse 9, Paul gets a clear vision of this man standing in Macedonia, urging him, saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. The word help has the connotation of need. We need help here. We ultimately need the gospel here. In your own life, there are times where God just simply crosses your paths with those who are in gospel need, those who have felt needs. And when you are illumined to those needs, that is an opportunity for you to follow the Spirit's leading in your life. Not every single time does that mean you must meet that need, but oftentimes God's Spirit is leading us by simply revealing needs to us that must be met. And so the question is, will we meet those? Thirdly, he leads by corporate wisdom. He leads by corporate wisdom. I love verse 10. Because when Paul had seen the, the vision, immediately we, just stop there, we, not I, but we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. That word concluding there has, carries the idea of fitting the pieces of a puzzle together. And so what we see here is we see multiple men coming together and troubleshooting their dilemma, troubleshooting their problems, troubleshooting their travel issues. And what they do is they collectively come to the conclusion that this is where God was leading. Friends, this is so pertinent for you and for me today. Oftentimes, one of the clearest ways God speaks to us and reveals His will to us, leads us by His Spirit, is by multiple wise men and women speaking into our circumstances and, pit, and fitting the pieces of the puzzle together, we use the human wisdom and the human agencies God has given to us to make the best decision possible, and it's a way in which we honor Jesus. He leads by corporate wisdom, and fourthly, he leads by everyday obedience. We sought to go in to Macedonia. This is what I want you to see. Remember that I told you that they didn't just fall back and say, well, I guess we just won't continue our missionary journey. These men are staying on the move. They're continually sharing the gospel. They're continually going from place to place. Here's a lesson for you and for me today. So often, and especially among millennials and young adults, we get into this perpetual holding pattern, just looking up to the sky saying, I just wish God would show us what to do. If he would just show me and just write it, then I would follow him anywhere and I would go and do anything. And we're just longing for it to be spelled out. But don't miss the fact that these men follow the leading of the Holy Spirit and being stopped here and being stopped here, but just continuing to obey the commission, continually obeying the command. And it's through everyday obedience, being on mission with God, 
that they simply go to the next place in the faithfulness meter and on the faithfulness track of following Jesus. Friends, it's the same for you and me today. God doesn't call each and every one of us cross cultures in order to become a vocational missionary to another country, in order to reach the unreached. More often than not, in his economy, he uses everyday, ordinary people just like you to reach the unchurched in your city, in your neighborhood, on your campus, at your work. It could be that we're concerned about the 10-year plan so much that we forget about next week. Resist focusing so much on what might be that you miss out on the mission that's right in front of you. Is there someone you need to read the Bible with? Is there someone you need to share your testimony with that we learned about from Acts chapter 9 and Acts chapter 26? Could it be that God would use you to start an investigative Bible study in your dorm or in your house or in the break room of your employer? Is there someone who doesn't know Jesus at work or school you need to share a coffee with and share the word of the gospel with? They may not say it out loud, but many are pleading internally, come help us. And simply responding by everyday obedience is following the lead of the Holy Spirit in your life. So number one, if you want to be a part of a movement, movement, not maintenance, among the unreached, first, we must be desperate for the Spirit to lead us. Secondly, we must be disciplined to share the gospel with all types of people. We must be disciplined to share the gospel with all types of people. Now, what you're going to see in verses 11 through 34, and we're going to go very quickly here because we have to cover a lot of ground in a short amount of time. We're going to see three different people come to faith in Jesus Christ. And they come to faith in Jesus Christ by the faithful sharing of the gospel from these missionary workers and by the miraculous power of the Holy Spirit. These three people are going to be from different socioeconomic backgrounds, different social standings, different educational levels. They're going to have different spiritual things going on in their lives. And there are going to be different approaches taken in order to reach them with the same gospel. And it's very instructive for you and for me today as we think about the people who may be in our midst. Picking up in verse 11, we're going to be introduced to a woman named Lydia. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace and the following day to Neapolis and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days. Very quickly, what we are about to see unfold is we are about to see a behind-the-curtain view of the planting of the church at Philippi. Have you ever read the book of Philippians in your Bible? Okay, that was a real place. Philippians lived in a city called Philippi. Philippi was a very prominent city in Rome. It was actually nicknamed Little Rome because it was a Roman colony. It was, it was uh, named after Philip. And this was a very influential center for Rome. It was a very influential colony for Rome, economically, socially, commercially. And this is what's going to and what's going to happen here with the planting of the church at Philippi. This would be the first church of Jesus Christ. Paying attention? The first church of Jesus Christ on European soil. And what we are about to witness through the word here is the first disciple made on European soil. And ladies, take heart. It wasn't a man. It was a faithful woman named Lydia. And on the Sabbath day, verse 13 says, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. And one who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Lydia was a prominent woman. She was a wealthy woman. How do we know? She was a dealer of purple goods, of purple linen. This was a sign of royalty. It was a sign of wealth. This was not simply a woman who was at home washing the clothes and making muffins. 
This was a woman who was very industrious. She had a craft. She had a trade. And she had wealth and prominence in this city. And God opened up her heart to believe the gospel. This, it's also very safe to assume that she was a God, seek, a God seeker. Not a Christian, but she was a woman who was a worshiper of God. She feared God. She probably had some sort of religious spiritual background in, in her life. This woman was ethnically uh, an Asian. Now I want to turn the page and look at the next woman that we see come to faith in Christ here. In verse 16, as we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl. You can just stop right there. Very different than the woman Lydia we just met. A slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God, who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. This woman was enslaved two times over. She was enslaved, number one, by her merchant owner, who was using her and her divination for financial profitability. But she was also enslaved by this demon. She was demon-possessed, verse 18 tells us, because Paul calls it out of her. But the same gospel that transformed Lydia's life transforms this slave girl's life. And so what you see here already juxtaposed beside each other is you see a wealthy woman in Lydia. You could probably assume that this slave girl was poor. You see this Asian woman, Lydia, with this native Greek slave girl. You see a spiritual God-fearer in Lydia. You see a slave girl in spiritual turmoil. But where the first century apostles used words to get to Lydia, they used deeds calling out this demon from the slave girl to reach her. And so are you seeing the fact that the gospel is for everyone? Regardless of socioeconomics, regardless of spiritual stamina, regardless of uh, ethnicity or creed. So we see the gospel transform Lydia. We see the gospel transform this slave girl. Well, here's what happens next. The local authorities get involved with Paul and his companions. Because in verses 19 through 24, these merchants are very, very ticked off because Paul, Paul just cast out the demon from the slave girl. She doesn't do fortune telling anymore, so their meal ticket just absolved. When the gospel shows up and fortune telling goes away and the money runs dry, do you expect everyone to just be okay with that? And so here's what the merchant owners do. They stir up controversy for Paul and his companions. And they basically go to the Roman authorities and they say, look, these guys here, they're ascribing allegiance to something else. They're stirring up unrest among the people. You need to do something with them. And so they, cowardly so, let's beat them, let's flog them, and let's throw them in jail. That'll shut them up. Until you get to verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. Perhaps they were singing even now. It would have been a great song for them to sing at the time, but they're singing and they're praising God. Look at verse 26. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. And when the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. Why? Because he had just committed big-time dereliction of duty. These prisoners are escaping on his watch. Even though God had just done something supernatural, and he was probably really fearful for that, he's also very scared of what the Roman authorities are going to do with him. Because if they would throw a couple of guys in prison for simply committing a spiritual act, what are they going to do to me, a Roman soldier who committed dereliction of duty and soldiers have just escaped? But Paul, Paul cried out with a loud voice, don't harm yourself. We're all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And then he brought them out and said, sirs, 
What must I do to be saved? I mean, that would get my attention. I mean, it would get my attention if some guys had just been flogged and beaten and thrown into prison for practicing their faith. And they pray and they sing and then an earthquake happens and the shackles fall off. I mean, they'd be pretty serious. And so this soldier falls down. Sirs, what must I do? Verse 31, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And then verse 32 says, they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. He took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Look at this soldier. Now, we don't know if he participated in the flogging or the beating, but at least metaphorically or functionally, he did because of his role. Isn't it miraculous that the gospel would change his heart in such a way that he would go from imprisoning these guys and being a part of the beating of these guys to washing their wounds? And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. And then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. Here's what I want you to see. There's so much ground to cover here. And we can't look at this verse by verse for the sake of our study this morning. But we must be disciplined to share the gospel with all types of people. Verse 10 had told them, and and they had concluded that God had called us to preach the gospel to the Macedonians. And so they go into Macedonia And they go into this influential city called Philippi and they begin preaching the gospel intentionally to basically anybody who would hear them. First, it was Lydia, then it was the slave girl, and then it was the Roman soldier, the Philippian jailer. Here's the lesson. How do you plant churches? How do you go into a place where Christ has not been named? How do you plant churches? Churches, well, sometimes we're tempted to think that Paul rented out Caesar's memorial auditorium, went on Photoshop and made up a really nice brochure and had them printed at the local FedEx Kinko's, invited the Chris Tomlin band, the best one that could emulate Chris Tomlin, and and put them on stage and invite the entire neighborhood, and, and that's how a church gets started. But that's not what you see. In Philippi, we learn a lesson here from our first century apostles. You don't plant churches to make disciples. You make disciples in order to plant churches. Churches are birthed out of making disciples. You begin the disciple-making process by proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ among the unreached. And you see these first century apostles do it over and over and over again. These early missionaries had an evangelistic zeal each one of us should emulate. I'm convicted by their example. I told you earlier that the Spirit leads us By simply everyday obedience. You've heard me tell you this before. That God has sovereignly, strategically put you in relationship to the family you're related to. For a strategic purpose. He has has crafted your class schedule the way he's crafted it. So you are around specific intentional people. You play on the athletic team you play on by God's sovereign design. You live in the apartment complex you live in, the street you live on, the dorm you reside in by God's sovereign strategic design. Here at Mill City Church, we're always going to call out those from among us and send them overseas and call them to other places in our area to start new works and to make the gospel known where it's not known. But I want you to know, friends, that an overwhelming majority of gospel work and gospel movement happens among ordinary, average people being obedient in the places to which God has placed you. So I wonder this morning, do you know some folks of resources and vocation like Lydia? Preach the gospel to them. Have your paths crossed with an oppressed man or woman with little hope in this world? Share the gospel with her. 
meet some of their needs and share with them their greatest need. Perhaps you work with some blue-collar dudes. They may right now swear allegiance to Trump, but show them King Jesus. If we're going to reach the unreached with the gospel of Jesus, we have to know that God is saving all types of people by many different means with the very same gospel. And these first century disciples show us this. So we must be desperate for his spirit to lead us. We must be disciplined in sharing his gospel with all types of people. Thirdly, here it is. We must be devoted to the word and prayer to fuel our mission. We must be devoted to the word and prayer to fuel our mission. I want to knock some common fallacies out of our minds this morning. You do not have to be a polished, eloquent orator in order to share the gospel and to make disciples. You don't have to have a seminary degree or to have PhD after your name. You do not have to be skilled in all the different means of apologetics, philosophy, and reason in order to reach the unreached. You simply have to have a mouth, a vocabulary, and the Spirit of God inside of you. I want to share a radical truth with you right this moment. I wonder, let me ask this question first. Are there believers in Jesus who have been born again by the Spirit of God in this room this morning? Okay, a couple of you. We don't always do well with the give and take, do we? All right, so there are believers who have been born again by the Spirit of God inside of you. Here's the radical truth. You have every resource needed for godliness and for gospel mission right inside of you, right with you, right now. There's nothing else to gain. Now, can you hone your craft? Sure. Are there places where you can grow? Absolutely. But you have everything you need. Look at what the disciples did. I want to show this to you in a couple of places. First of all, verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were what? They were praying. They were praying. A part of our gospel movement this morning is for you and for me to be fervently praying that God would open up doors for the gospel of Jesus Christ in your life. How intentional are we? Are we praying for these opportunities? Are we praying for men? Are we praying for women? Are we praying for people by name to be saved and transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ? Prayer must fuel your mission. Prayer must fuel my mission. We see that in verse 25. Look at verse 32. This guy says, what must I do to be saved? Notice he didn't, the, the disciples don't come up with a, a five-point outline of philosophical reasoning and theological arguments. They simply spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. They simply spoke the word of God. Friends, the word of God is our tool. This morning, it could be that you ask your friend, your neighbor, your roommate, can we read the book of John together? Can we just simply open up the Bible and read the word? Brothers and sisters, let the word of God do the work. Let people hear and see Jesus through their own eyes, from their own ears. Let the word have its effect. You've you've Turn over one page. Paul and Silas go to Thessalonica. And in verse 2, Paul went into the, the synagogue as was his custom. And on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures. Several more times in chapters 17, 18, and 19, you're going to see that phrase. He reasoned with them from the scriptures. Friends, the word and prayer fuel our mission. Now, there are some great resources we can utilize. We have a lot of them in our resource shelf and our library in the back. And there are great things that you can do to hone your craft and to grow. But what I want you to know today is if you're going to be a part of gospel movement and gospel mission, all you need, all you need are these few things. You need a relationship with someone else. You need the word of God. You need prayer and the Holy Spirit. If you're a Christian in this room, you have all four this morning. You have everything you need. 
You must be devoted to the word and prayer to fuel your mission. Lastly, this. Fourth, we must be dependent upon his grace to sustain us. We must be dependent upon his grace to sustain us. I'm going to give you a confession this morning. I get weary in gospel work. I get weary in gospel labor. I'm going to tell you, humanly speaking today, I get tired of sharing the gospel. I get tired of intentionally seeking after people. I get tired of opening up my home. I get tired of going to community groups week in and week out. I get tired of intentionally having lunches with people and dinners with people and coffees with people. I get tired of reading. I get tired of a lot of things, humanly speaking. Before you judge me, so do you, don't you? We get weary in these things. It's hard work. Don't you know it was hard for the first century apostles? They would get beaten in one city, flogged in another, imprisoned in another, but they constantly stayed on the move. I want to humanize myself this morning because I don't want you to think that I'm some supernatural spiritual being that all of this just comes naturally to me. I too get weary of gospel work. Friends, that's why we rest on the grace of God. Because it's the grace of God that will sustain you. It's the grace of God that sustains me. It's the grace of God that continually empowers me and fuels me. And there are people whom I'm sharing the gospel with that I've been sharing with for months, quarters, semesters, even years. And it still hasn't clicked. What do we do? Well, we go to verse 14 and we take heart because in verse 14, this woman, Lydia, from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. Look at the last phrase. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. It's ultimately the Lord who opens up the heart of a lost sinner, of someone who is unreached. So by his grace, he saves us. So here's, this is very instructive for you and for me today. We should first of all be marveling over and remembering how it was his grace that wakened us up to the reality of the gospel. And if it was his grace that opened our hearts and our minds and our eyes up to the gospel, it's his same grace that's going to open up the ears and the eyes and the hearts of others whom you are patiently, diligently sharing the gospel with. We must be dependent upon his grace to sustain us because by his grace, he saves us. But also by his grace, he sends us. By his grace, he sends us. So he doesn't just save us so that we can maintain our spiritual life. He doesn't save us simply to maintain what we have experienced. He saves us by his grace to send us out by his grace. Verse 10, they concluded that God had called them to preach the gospel. Have you concluded that today? Have you concluded that God has called you to preach the gospel? That God has invited you and sent you out on mission to be a part of a movement for his name's sake among the people whom you're around first and then outward to this region and to the other ends of the planet. You see, it's his grace that sends us. And it's his grace that doesn't just send us one time, but it's his grace that sends us every day. He sends us when we're at our spiritual best, He sends us when we're at our spiritual worst. He sends us when we're very refreshed and rested in the Lord. He sends us when we're very weary and tired of gospel work. And it's his grace that will sustain us at our best. It's his grace that will sustain us at our weakest and at every moment in between. So at the very beginning, I asked you, do you want to be a part of maintenance or movement? You see, when we're a part of maintenance, we're very self-focused. It's about our needs. 
It's about our desires. It's about our growth. It's about our wants. You see, maintenance is very self-focused. Maintenance is also can be very selfish. But you see, movement calls you to be a part of something so much bigger and so much greater than yourself. And I would make this argument to you from the scriptures as well as through experience of years in pastoral work and missionary work. When you show me a Christian who is laboring over and is worried by many lesser things, what I'm getting or what I'm not getting or how I can uh, grow, the, grow me or, or just simply receive. When you show me believers who are quarreling over lesser things, and I want you to know today's message is not coming from anything that has happened this week or in recent months. It's coming straightly from the scriptures this morning. You show me a believer who is fascinated and consumed with all those things. 99 times out of 100, you're showing me a believer who is not a part of movement who is not on mission, but who is focused on maintenance. Because here's what I've learned in my own life. When I'm meeting with new believers, when I'm opening up the Bible with someone who has just believed, when I'm opening up the Word of God and doing investigative studies with those who don't believe, a lot of the worries and the things I'm consumed with are focused on. They really just go to the back burner of the back burners. Could it be that so many of us are worried by so many things and are consumed with such lesser things of maintenance mode in our churches and our spiritual lives because we're not a part of unbelievers' lives? We're not opening up the scriptures, helping them understand the gospel. We're not walking alongside of a young believer and teaching them and instructing them in how to follow Jesus. I want to call you so, I want to implore you today, be a part of movement Desire movement in your life. Seek out those with whom you can share. Seek out with those with whom you can invest your life. Seek out those with whom you can open the word. God will transform your life through missional movement. And it will put all of your maintenance in perspective. Now here's what's going to happen. When we choose movement over maintenance, when we follow the example, like these first century apostles at the, at the city of Philippi, when we choose movement over maintenance, at least three things are definitely going to happen. Number one, disciples are made. We see that through Lydia, through the slave girl, and through the jailer. Disciples are made. Number two, missionaries are sent. Missionaries are sent. When you think today about Patrick and Aaron Schwartz, when you think today about our sister, Amanda Ray, when you think today about our brother, T.J. Chestnut, when you think today about our brother and sister, Kevin and Darla Henderson, all people we have sent out in the last couple of years from our midst to preach the gospel somewhere else and to start works where works hadn't been started before, sent out from us. When you think about those people, it's because They had gotten a vision for the gospel. It's because they had been made disciples and they were making disciples here and we sent out from us the best from among us to the area around us and to the globe. Disciples are made. Missionaries are sent. Last, churches are planted. Churches are planted. You see it in Acts 16. In just a moment, I'm going to close, but I want you to see this before we close our Bibles. At the very end, when all was said and done, Paul and his companions, verse 40, so they went out of the prison and visited Lydia. And when they had seen the brothers, or the brothers and sisters, this is is a word in the New Testament for the church. So when they had seen the church, they encouraged them and departed. These men walked into Philippi and not a single person knew the gospel of Jesus Christ. And just a short time later, they're leaving prison and they're leaving, bringing greetings to the church that had been birthed there because disciples had been made. I want to ask a simple question this morning. 
do you want to be a part of something like this? Do you want to be a part of something like this? Whether you're 15 or whether you're 80 in this room today, I want you to be a part of something like this. Friends, when I look back over the last 10 years of Mill City Church's existence, what we have sought to do, and we've sought to do it imperfectly, but what we have sought to do is what we have preached this morning, is to preach the gospel among the unreached, train them up as disciple makers, build leaders, disciple makers who also would make disciples, particularly of the next generation. And over the last 10 years, God has blessed that endeavor beyond our wildest dream. So I want you to know from a leadership standpoint, we're not changing our strategies now. We're going to continue doing what God has called us to do, what he's equipped us to do. And I just wonder if there's a congregation of people in this room who would say, sign me up. I want to be a part of that movement. Father, today I pray for my people in front of me. Father, where we're selfish, would you move us to selflessness? Lord, where we're focused on maintenance, would you focus, on, focus us on mission? Lord, where we're wishing for something else to be added to our faith so that we can be on mission with you, remind us that we have everything we need in your gospel, in your spirit. Father, I pray this week that you would cause the loss to be on our minds, on our hearts, and that through prayer that we would leave them at your feet, expecting you to do a work. Lord, I pray for every person in this room today that you would cause us to take steps of obedience towards being part of a movement and being on mission with you and being disciple makers and raising up the next generation of disciple makers behind us. And Lord, in just a prayer of need, I pray for your grace. I pray for your grace to sustain me. I pray for your grace to sustain my people as you send us out on mission today. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.